0: Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash Sports. That's Indeed.com slash Sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
0: Golden, Colorado. And get by Benny. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner,
2: gets up, center! Perry! Scoot!
1: Corey Perry! Well, able to shake away from
2: Solani, it's given away to
3: All right, we're back on a Tuesday night after we missed the last couple games. Uh, I think, well, I guess we just missed the uh, the last game, the last Vegas game, right? So, yeah. I mean, good, good games to miss, to be fair. Ducks dropped two straight against Vegas in uh, not mm-hmm. so fun fashion, and figured that if they had a chance to come back here and, and have a fun game and a game that was worth watching, it would be this game against the Kings. And uh, this one, this might have been the worst of them all. Because, I mean, at least when you lose to <laughs> Vegas, you're like, okay, you know, it's Vegas. They're one of the best teams in this league. When you lose 4-1 to the LA Kings, who are basically just as bad as you, and it's still a rivalry game, it hurts. It hurts a lot.
2: Yeah, when they, when they can't even get going for that, like, I mean... It's not the four-game series that they're going to have, but it was kind of like the prelude to it. So you kind of hope that, you know, you have a little bit of umph instead of just running through what seemed like a practice of a game and uh, to just go out there and lose on every facet of the game and just get the crap kicked out of you physically and on the scoreboard. It's just, that was boring and depressing to watch. <laughs>
1: yeah that was probably the first game in a minute where i uh I thought you could make a reasonable argument during the game to fire the coach um like I really haven't been on the fire egans thing that much this year just because it's such a weird year and he was headed it's such a shitty roster um but it's kind of ridiculous to me um. God damn. Tonight they just looked really bad. They just looked really li- sorry. I could tell okay. this one really is laugh. just hitting you hard. Yeah. No, it's just it's so <laughs> en- Happy 420, so everyone. Today. And it just it was very frustrating to watch. They just didn't look like a team that had any energy tonight. And it was just kind of remarkable. Yeah, yeah I, I said this much like
2: this
3: podcast. Yeah. Yeah. This it's <laughs> tough because I said I said this before we went live where <laughs> For a while, like, the Ducks have been bad all year. Like, this is nothing new. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, they've popped off a, a bad losing streak here after playing really well. You know, but the, the luster and kind of the shine of Trevor Zegris and Jamie Drysdale making their NHL debuts and, and Drysdale scoring in his debut and Trevor Zegris also grabbing his first NHL goal in the same game, that's kind of worn off now. And now it just gets back to sucking again, right? Like, there's nothing to like gloss it over. Like The two wins against San Jose were fun, and it's San Jose, so it's great. This month hasn't been that good at all, and then you get kind of taken back down to earth against Vegas, which is understandable, but now it's kind of washed away. And if you had to pick a game all year to say, this was a bad game from Jamie Drysdale. I think this is one you could say. I mean, plus minus is plus minus. It's not a great stat to begin with, but he was a minus four tonight.
1: Perfect. It's the only stat that matters. Yeah,
3: tonight it's the uh, the only stat that matters for my agenda on this podcast. But uh, <laughs> yeah, J- Drysdale <laughs> was uh, a minus four tonight. So it's just one of those games where nothing nothing went right, and then you know the one thing we're supposed to be enjoying right now is the kids and the only kid we have in the lineup had a bad night. And then if you want to go extend it down to San Diego too, the goals won 5-1, but Trevor Segrus was pointless, so it was just a uh, just a just an awful <laughs> night all around. Just make it a full downer podcast. Yeah, we just yeah, we just got to focus
2: on the end of the season. Just get to that finish line. You know, we don't have to win, we just got to get there. So, we just physically have to wait for days to pass and then then we can start getting <laughs> happy again. <laughs> <'Cause>,
1: <laughs> Because there's, the,
2: there's there's not a whole lot to look forward to, unfortunately. This is sad, big, but it is
1: true. That's the big takeaway right now, is that Dutch yeah. fans have nothing to look forward to but the slow passing of time. <laughs> nine nine games left.
2: on the calendar, season end.
3: Well, it's like <laughs> you again. come off a game like this, and then you look at the schedule, and you look at your next opponent, and it's Vegas again <laughs> on Saturday. So...
1: That's the thing, right? Like, we're going to find out pretty quick what tonight was, right? Because, like, in a normal season, these games happen. You have letdown games. You have games where nobody shows up. It stands out all the more because they never looked particularly um, good this season to begin with. Um, But I think that Vegas game will kind of tell us a lot about kind of where this team's head is at. I think, you know, if they think they come out and they put up a good effort and, you know, I don't expect them to win, but if they at least play something that looks like structured hockey, I think that's a positive sign. And if they come out and it's just this shit again, then one, it's going to be a bloodbath. Um, But two, then I think at that point you really do go, okay, well, the season's almost over. Get everybody the hell out. Yeah. Yeah, I'll save
2: you the suspense. It's going to be a horrible <laughs> game.
1: They're, they're,
2: I'm going I'm to play the role of Pat here for a second. They, they're not going to do crap, and they're definitely not going to turn the, the boat around here against Vegas. Uh, I would just assume just, just get that loss out of the way, and then if they can't muster up any sort of energy against a four-game series against the Kings, whether it be on the scoreboard or, hell, just hitting people and not being hit or not being punched out of the game, Uh, that would be something to cheer for. If you're going to lose the game on the scoreboard, at least be physical. And is there any team that we should be more physical against would be the Kings is who I would expect us to be. Didn't see it today. And hopefully a four-game mini-playoff series might actually kick their asses awake. But I I wouldn't hold my breath on Vegas.
1: (laughs) I think that's right. I think the fact that it did kind of show like this against L.A. is especially frustrating, because even when the teams are bad, we've seen in the past these these games have a lot of energy. Hell, we've seen it this year, these games have had more energy than tonight. And tonight was just one-sided from the jump, and you're right, that the fact that it was against LA, I think, is a very bad sign. <laughs>
3: yeah, but that that upcoming four-game stint against LA should be better. Like, maybe games one and two might be a bit slow, but I think when you get into game three and four of that mini-series, then then we might see it ratchet up a bit. In those last couple games, will be will be pretty fun, and then you head out on the road and face two teams fighting for playoff spots in St. Louis and Minnesota at the end of the season, so we'll have to end it that way, but at least uh, maybe a couple of those games against the Kings will be some fun ones.
1: Yeah, well, and then the other thing, I guess, to say to play like devil's advocate for a second is it is the end of the season. The trade deadline is done, so none of them are playing, you know, for the chance to go start somewhere else. Um... There's only a handful of games left. It's very clear that they are going to be one of the bottom four or five teams in the league. Um, And to start all of that, the season has just completely sucked from what they've had to deal with and the COVID and, you know, everything going on and the way that nothing, you know, has been normal for a year. I think all of that can lead to a situation where even if they are a little, you know, just kind of ragged and lifeless here at the end of the year. I think there's something to be said that it isn't necessarily a sign of the worst-case scenario inside the room, but it's definitely still a thing to be concerned about. Yeah,
3: I mean, losing games isn't a bad thing for the Ducks right now either. When you look at, you know, Buffalo no. has actually kind of picked up their place somehow as of late. They've been winning some games. New Jersey... Probably played the most exciting game of the entire season tonight against the Pittsburgh Penguins where they were down 6 nothing. and the game finished 7-6. to It was 6 nothing after the end of the second. So they're fighting to just kind of fin- finish the season on the high. Detroit, despite losing today as well, has picked up a few wins lately. So the Ducks, if you want them to be in the best position possible for the draft, they need to finish in the bottom two because Seattle's going to mm-hmm. hold that third-best odds no matter what. So even if you finish third last in the league this year, you automatically have the fourth worst odds. You could fall as far as six, okay. which is probably something that usually happens. When you're in three, four, five, you usually fall at least one or two spots because somebody wins the lottery and and kind of pops up it in that top half of the draft. So at best, I mean, it would be it'd be good for the Ducks to at least catch New Jersey or Ottawa. You know, Buffalo is going to be tough because they're just on a whole nother <laughs> level. But uh
1: We'll. Uh, we can't even catch Buffalo. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Oh, but
2: uh, <laughs> the other thing.
1: Go ahead. Sorry, I just want to say, like, it's also worth noting, like, as bad as the Ducks look tonight, the Kings didn't necessarily look markedly better, except for small moments. Um, you know, this was a game that didn't hit 40 total shots at the 50 minute mark. Like, I just think that's also something worth remembering. Is it wasn't a game like we could see when they play Vegas. Yeah, it so, wasn't a fifty-one to sixteen shots. <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah, but if you're not shooting, you're not scoring. Be hitting. Be be in a fight. Be something oh, where you're not. Sure. You know, lose. That's what. That's just what's so fucking boring to watch. It's just go like, oh god, we're just getting our asses kicked, and then we can't even can't even defend ourselves. Guys get knocked over. Guys can't. Yeah, it's just it, it sucked yeah. I, I think
3: no, the yeah. big thing, too, is that there's really no excuses lineup-wise. Like, mostly everybody is healthy at this point, barring Hampus Lindholm and then Isaac Lindstrom, who we I finally found out what was wrong with him. I don't think it had been put out anywhere or I likely missed it, but Eric Stevens mentioned that he had an appendectomy. Uh, I don't know how Ooh. long ago but that's why he's been out of the it lineup and been listed as a scratch for the last couple of games. So apparently he's back skating again. But other than him and Lindholm, this is as good as it gets for the Ducks lineup. When you look at who they iced tonight, the lines were the same from the 5-2 loss against Vegas except for Volkov and Jones switched. So Jones went down to the fourth line. Volkov came up with Getzlaff and Terry on the second line. And then Andy Walensky checked back in for Jacob Larson to play with Cam Fowler tonight. But uh, and then Anthony Stolas was a starter, giving John Gibson the night off after two uh, two tough games against the Vegas Golden Knights. But this is this is a healthy Ducks roster. This is what a healthy Ducks roster looks like. Outside of like I said, Lindholm, Lindström, and maybe Zegras, who should likely be up at this point or could be up by the end of the year. Uh,
2: how many games does he have left before? they don't burn that one year off.
3: The Ducks have, I think we counted nine games to the end of the season, so he could play every single one of those nine games and fall, I think, at 26 games played, and it was 27 to hit the accrued season. So he could be up for Saturday.
2: Any day now. (laughs)
3: Any day now. We'll see. I mean, he's been, other than tonight, he's been performing at a high level for the goals. Two games ago he had four points. Um, Then he had that highlight reel goal that went viral. Where he batted in with the toe of his stick off a breakaway, so he's clearly he's clearly bored in the AHL, so
1: God man, it's insane. Just how at ease he looks down there. Just he just seems the game just seems to move so much slower for him than everybody else. It's insane.
3: Well, I could say. I mean, his transition to center is clearly is clearly going pretty well. So,
2: hey, okay, yeah, we,
3: uh, we might see him later on in the year. I don't want to spend too too long on this game, to be honest with you guys. You know, like, like Jason said, the the Kings' goals weren't that great. You know, first one off of Grunstrom's back, the the other three from Kopitar uh, on the breakaway beat Stolas five hole, the cross ice path to a, San, a for an open net shot and then the rebound that fell to Lazat in the third period. They weren't wonderful goals. I felt for Anthony Stolarz in this one, there wasn't too much he could do on any of them, really. And then, obviously, the Ducks got their lone goal through Cam Fowler, which was a nice individual effort from him to get on the board. But outside of that chance from Fowler, really the only other chance they had was Henrique at the end of the second, where Doughty dove and blocked it. And they didn't really have too many scoring chances outside of those two big chances, and one of them they scored off of.
2: And it makes it more annoying that it was Dowdy making a good play because he's just like, damn it! Like, I mean, that could have really helped us. And then was like, of course, of course it's fucking Dowdy doing it. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah! You, so you got hit in the chest. That's awesome. Great for you. I don't know. That was, <laughs> that was. just me being bitter, I guess, for a moment. But I was just like, you gotta be shitting me, man. So let us have that one.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think, uh, you know, you could. there was a positive with, like, Flurry had that nice little move behind the net, and then he took a rush up ice, and, you know, he didn't... He just missed, but he was aiming top corner, and, like, you're going to miss high on that. So, you know, I think there were little things like that, I think, that you can be happy about, but I think it's hard <laughs> to find too many positives to take out of this game. But I think by that same token, we don't know until... The Vegas game, if we should even give a shit about this game, you know there's a good chance that we see enough in the Vegas game that we feel like you can just kind of throw this one out so
3: we're we're getting to that point in the season, I mean obviously these games don't mean anything. The ducks are likely a few more losses away from you know officially and mathematically being out of the playoffs. I think <laughs> there's some guys in San Diego that I know a lot of people want to see get at least one look this year. Dave asked a question in the chat about uh, Ole Eriksson and, and Lucas Dostel. Uh, and with the OHL season being cancelled, Jacob Perreault another one who is going to be in San Diego for the rest of their season and could be an option. Do you think we see any of these guys near the end of the year here? Obviously, you know, there's only nine games left and Trevor Zegers is likely one of those guys that's going to get called back up. Do you think Either one of the goaltenders or Perot gets a shot before the end of the year. No, I, I think I,
2: Perot does. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think the goalies do. I, I think uh, it's still, you know, Gibson's net unless he starts dealing with an injury or something like that. And they want to bring in a third, you know, well, technically their fourth string goalie. Uh, but they they still have a couple of games for Miller to, to play if, if Gibby's not going to play. Stolzar is going to be the the backup next year, so they probably still want to give him some more reps Um, and then other than that they They really wouldn't bring him in. I mean, we haven't even seen uh, Stolzar until You know the injury and then just hey just throw him out there because what the hell why not and uh, Until you know started playing really well. He wasn't really even there other than that. He was in taxi the whole whole season So I can't imagine they they jump over three goalies to just give that other guy a shot
3: I would love it though. I mean, Lucas Dostal has had the most interesting season I think I've ever seen from I mean, not just a, goal, a you know rookie goaltender in the AHL, but really any goaltender where he started on a 5 game winning streak and had like four of those games were 40 save plus performances and looked amazing and then he lost 7 in a row and <laughs> it didn't look great. And now with his win tonight it was a 37 save performance only letting one goal. He's won six in a row. So he won five, lost seven, and won six in a row. It's the weirdest start I've ever seen to a to a professional career. But he's I mean he's coming on hot late here. And I know it it I, I see the same thing as UJ Like it's tough to leapfrog three guys to get a start here where Gibson's healthy, Miller's healthy, Stolar's just playing games and, you know, despite not looking too great tonight, he's been playing well. I would love to see Dosto get a start. I think he definitely would get a look over Ole Eriksson Ek because Eriksson Ek's lost his last three in a row, and Dosto's kind of taking the starting job. But yeah, it's tough. Unless it's like the last game of the season, it's really tough to to get him in there and and give him a start.
2: And I just don't. You know, I just don't think there's much of a point either because what are you going know, to do? Bring him in on a team that's pretty much given up and their season's out. Yeah, let's throw let's throw the kid in there and see what he can yeah. do. Yeah. It's just, it, it, not a good situation to do at least the other guys had a chance during the season and you know they're still Mm -hmm. trying to play to play
1: so i i if if you're akins right now right and this is where you're at in the year do you just tell john gibson he's done and just be like there's no reason to play you like you've played enough games we know there's absolutely like we know what you are, we're not tripping about like that. There's, no, we don't gain anything by playing you here at the end. We're gonna talk to Miller. You ask Miller like, how many games do you want to play? There's nine. You can have as many as you. And then you uh, give the, the rest to like Solars. Like I just, uh, at this point, doesn't it almost make more sense just to put? If you want to piss
2: off a goalie, uh, I think if you went to Gibson and said, "Hey, Gibson, the season's kind of over. We're not doing." Anything anything we'd like to uh, give our stolzar do you mind sitting out for the next you know month or so or you know half a month you're gonna get a goal it it's gonna be like no I wanna play. I want that's what I'm here for. I, I don't want to sit down yeah it's not gonna we're not gonna win but you know, or go to the playoffs, but I wanna play. That's that's why I'm here. And that's that's any player. It's like Getsy to just sit down, we're not really going to be playing all that well, and you can but just I take a break for the next nine games.
1: But well, It's different for Getze than it is for Gibby. The situations aren't the same. Getze's at the end of his career, uh, you well, know, insert, still got
2: insert Silverberg or whoever you want. I mean, but, does Gibson give, old, Gibson give him the best chance to win? Yes. Does Gibson but, want to play? Absolutely. So, I just I just don't see why Gibson would just go, you know what, I'll just collect those checks and just sit back here for a little while and then go into a whole off season where I'm not playing either.
1: But that's my thing is, like, it's just getting a jump on the off season, which is inevitable. And, like, at a certain point, like, you know, like if you're the coach or the GM, like, you're in charge. Like, I, I do think it's worth just being, like, we're not going to gain anything out of it. You've had a fuck all year because this year has sucked. We put you in a bad position and we want you to just start your recovery. You're going to be around like we're not, you know, shipping you off to Siberia, but you're not playing another game. And I just don't know why what there is to lose in any way by that.
2: You get pissed off goalie.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and goalies don't
2: wanna sit. I mean they wanna play. They don't they don't wanna sit down just like, Yeah, the season sucks, but I still wanna play and there's as much as you wanna say, Oh, well you get to you get to train more, you get to do more in practice, it's nothing like a game anyways. And you can work on little things within a game, even though the the season's kinda of lost. You want to be that guy. I mean, it's not necessarily an ego thing, but it's it's you're literally just saying, "Listen, we, we suck so bad, so why should you play?" And so, well, then why should I play ever? We're just going to keep sucking so bad. Who cares? Why don't we just call it in halfway through the season. Every season, it's not going to be a, a, a gold rush for us. I just, I, I just don't see it. I mean, almost no one ever does that. So,
3: like, I I see the I see the where you're coming from, Stephen, and in, in shutting him down and not exposing him to kind of the shit show that he's been exposed to over the last few games and really over the entire season. But in the same thing, like, what what's the harm of playing him, you know, two or three or maybe even four at most games for the rest of the season here? Like, even if he gets hurt and that's what you're afraid of here – He's got an entire offseason to recover. And I don't think you'd, like, and what are you saving him for, right? Like, why are you not playing him? It's definitely not to avoid an injury because the Ducks aren't going to need him anytime soon. They don't have any playoffs to worry about. You know, honestly, I think the way they handle the rest of these nine games is they either give three starts to each guy, which I think would be a bit of a stretch. But I, I think likely it's Gibson for at least four and then Stolars could get three or four in there, and then Miller gets one or two because there's a few back-to-backs in there. I think the last two games of the season are a back-to-back, so I'm sure Miller will get one of those because Stolarz is fairly easy to, to, to move to the taxi squad, but I, I would assume Gibson would get at least four of these nine starts to finish the season here because they want him to finish strong. You know, They want him to have a few good games here to finish the year and, and finish the year on a positive note for himself. Um I, I think that's the big thing for him. Like those were two very tough games against Vegas and he played really well, especially in that four nothing loss. He still had he stopped like forty seven shots and a nine twenty two save percentage. He's playing well. And I don't think he wants to end the season. I don't think the Ducks wanna end his season in that five two loss to Vegas. I, I think they wanna get him a few more games in here to, to have a positive end to his year.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that. And I understand, like, he's going to want to play and all that stuff. But I think, like, you just, like, it's probably Miller's last season. How much does he want to play? And the other thing is, I would like to see a little bit more of Stolarz in this crazy situation. I would like to know, you know, what he really might be. And I think just kind of throwing him into the deep end for the rest of the year is worth it. And, like, I get that, like, there's not a lot to be gained necessarily by starting... You know, his off season two weeks earlier, whatever it is. But I also don't know that there's anything to be gained by having him play those games. So that's my thing is I just don't know that either way you're getting much out of it. And so I'd rather just see what Stellars has.
3: I think an interesting thing, I want to get into this. I didn't have it in our postgame notes, but I was looking at some of the Ducks contracts um, and, and what you know what's kind of changing for some of them heading into next season. And one thing I didn't notice about John Gibson's contract until I took a little bit of a, a deeper dive into it is he has a modified no-trade clause that begins next season, so he has to submit a 10-team no-trade list to the Ducks if they wanted to move him. Uh, there's been speculation since the beginning of the season, especially very early on in the season, that teams were inquiring about him. I can't remember the exact team now. It might have been... It was Buffalo. Buffalo, right? Yeah, that called, and, and the Ducks basically said they weren't interested in moving him. But I think if if there is any off season or any time to move John Gibson, if you're seriously considering—I'm not saying the Ducks are—but if you are, you know, we're seriously considering moving John Gibson, I think this off season is the best time because you have the most leverage in terms of the, the amount of teams you can go out and offer them to because i think the amount of teams who can pull it off in terms of the amount the assets it would cost and then also the need of a, a starting goaltender like john gibson the list already kind of starts small and usually it's the teams near the bottom of the table in the league teams like buffalo that are looking to kind of build from the net out and I would think that at the beginning of next season, and G Gibson has a modified no-trade clause, Buffalo is likely on that 10-team no-trade list for where he <laughs> wouldn't want to go. If if you were to trade John Gibson, do you think like this offseason is the time to do it just because of that clause and it kicks in?
2: Better have somebody to come in and replace him. Otherwise, otherwise you're dooming this team. Uh, or you're writing your hopes on Dostal making that transition to the nhl and even then you're still waiting three or four years on the, that hope so i don't think the ducks are in any position to get rid of a, an all-star goalie um with no clear replacement in the wings yet so i i would hesitate to do that because i think it kind of cripples you a little bit and um I just unless you're getting a guy who's really close as a return for a goalie, but then I think that diminishes your your return prospect or draft wise. So,
1: I mean, All I right. guess
2: I guess that's the best they can they can do if they want to move them. Then sure, that makes sense, but I don't see why they would.
1: What about no, Ghost <laughs> and Carter Hart for John Gibson. No, I don't want Carter Hart.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I I see where you're coming from there, and I like the idea of bringing in a young netminder. Um, I I think Gostisbeere essentially is just to make the cap work at that point. So it it really is yeah, just a, a um, one for one.
1: A good. Put- I mean, I think you would have to throw in other stuff, but I like. I think there would have to be a couple of picks involved there. Um, but. Just as a structure, basically, giving Philly a youngish goaltender who's the guy they hope Carter Hart turns into yeah. for oh, Carter and... Hart, whose timeline fits the Ducks much much more uh, succinctly, I guess. Yeah, and, and
2: Gibson's from Pennsylvania.
3: <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like, yeah, yeah. Sure, he's got a yeah. picture of him uh, with. <laughs> A Philadelphia Flyers blanket and pajamas oh, as a yeah. kid somewhere that we can post up yeah, somewhere.
2: Yeah. It was growing up in Pittsburgh. I'm sure that was it. <laughs> I I
1: think <laughs> I think yeah. I think you've got a shot this off season to get your best possible return for John Gibson. Um, I think there is still a lot of people around the league who, rightly or wrongly, attribute most of this last couple years to the team in front of him and not to John Gibson so much. So, you know, I think every year that you give him kind of behind this team, you run the risk of people feeling that he's less and less deserving of the benefit of the doubt. Um, so I, I think you have a shot. I think especially after the expansion draft, you might have a shot at getting a couple of people in some weird spots who might be willing to make a crazy move. So I think, yeah, probably at trading him at the draft this year, the Entry draft would probably make the most sense. Yeah,
2: the return would have to be crazy. Yeah, just it would be it.
3: Be, it would have to be you know a first round pick, a top prospect plus plus on top of that. Um, and I'm not saying I want to trade John Gibbs. I'm just saying if you are no 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 yeah no, no. if you're if you're the Ducks well, yeah. and you're seriously thinking about it, this is the probably the best time to do it. I you know not in terms of uh, you know his level of play and his numbers speaking for themselves, but just contract-wise and having the most suitors available, as hard as it is to move an elite goaltender already because most teams already have an established netminder and they're not really looking to pay the assets to, you know, for a small upgrade in net. And in some cases, John Gibson would be a big upgrade, but even then, if they're comfortable with who they have, it, it takes a lot of names off the board. And then you throw on a 10-team no-trade list to that as well. You could potentially wipe off the rest of the... Possible trade partners off that. I I wonder if it changes your mind. I'm going to open up a lot of uh, you know a, a deep wound and a, a debate that uh, that a lot of Ducks fans hate to hear. Um, but would you be more inclined to trade John Gibson this off season if the Ducks went out and signed Freddie Anderson as an unrestricted free agent to replace him?
2: I I I think you you even if you trade Gibson you bring back Anderson you're you're right back where it is I mean if anything I feel like Anderson's been more injured over the last couple years although he's they've been using him like a workhorse even more than Gibson Uh, But I feel he's he's injury prone and then once again, you know the same breath He's he's not much of an upgrade or downgrade from Gibson They're still kind of on par for the most part. I think Gibson's got the slight edge um, but I, I just don't see getting Anderson and then getting rid of Gibson and, and going back on your idea that it might have worked and they're they're right back where they are with not an upgrade in net. So
3: Yeah. And and and, um, and honestly for, for me it's it's more so you know, the argument a lot of people and why you shouldn't trade John Gibson is because there isn't a replacement in in net and or like an NHL starter ready. behind him. Stolars yeah. is not is not that, Dostel is not that yet. Ryan Miller is likely retiring at the end of this season. So keep Gibson. Yeah, but <laughs> you know if if, so if you, can assets, you can get the assets, if him. you can get the assets that you want, like if you get the offer that you you you, you know you need to move John Gibson, and then it means if you doom this team to a four
2: year rebuild. If that, and, and you're pinning it on hopes that your dostal still works out and
1: whatever else you might be able to find along the way but in the next that's, four years. But... Okay, so let me say this. I love it, Eddie. I think it's a great fucking idea. I think it makes a ton of sense logistically. I thought they should have looked into making that trade at the deadline and see what they could have gone gotten out of Toronto in swapping those back. I don't think it's in any way an admission that they made the wrong choice. I think it's in every way an admission or a validation of the decision they made. Because at this point in time, Freddie Anderson's reputation has taken a huge hit. He's consistently underperformed in, you know, the playoffs and high leverage situations and things like that. Like, you know, I know the team in front of him doesn't play a whole lot of defense, but at the same time that he plays for one of the highest scoring teams in the league, especially just on raw offensive firepower, like they can compete with anybody. So I think the fact that he hasn't had any success is ridiculous. I think... You know, I I think the idea of bringing him back on like, what, three year, four million a year, some stupid deal like that, getting Gibby out the door, getting a bunch of picks, seeing if you can get a couple of young players. I think that makes a ton of sense. Do I think Freddie Anderson is going to be super excited to come to Anaheim and have a young, quote unquote, goalie prodigy behind him in the system? No, I don't think he's going to be super keen on that. But I I definitely think that's the situation the Ducks should look into. But
2: yeah. well, should we also bring Carlisle back then? Just, <laughs> I, I let's, knew Freddie would. No, let's just double dip. Let's just double dip, and we'll just get everyone back. You say, what's Dan Bottlesma I doing? Can he still play forward?
3: Yeah, I. But what... I guy. knew Freddie would would spark that, and and I used Freddie <laughs> simply just to kind of. Trigger people Here's a the bit. thing. But it could be anybody. It could be Antti Ranta. It could be Peter Morazek. You, you know what I mean? It could be Come
1: anybody. out and trade for Brayden Holby? I don't care. I just think the idea in and of itself has merit. I think it makes a ton of sense because I love Gibby, man. I want him to be able to go play somewhere and be successful. Like, I don't know that by the time this team is ready, he's going to be the goalie that he is today. And that sucks that his prime is going to be wasted. Because, you know, Bob Murray just misjudged so many things over a five-year period. Like, it just sucks ass. <laughs> but the idea of not I just think trading it makes a ton of sense. Like, he, he's right at his—probably his most valuable as far as age, contract, the flat cap, all of that stuff. I think the potential return on something like that is insane. And— you know, like you said, Freddie's just a name to throw on the hat. But at the same time, like, Freddie's actually the perfect goalie to bring in for, you know, uh, a rebuild like that. Because just Freddie's just a ho-hum goalie. He's just like, it just is what it I is. To a three-year deal, he's, he's not...
3: 34 at the end of the deal. You're likely, I, I mean, I, like.
1: Uh... Yeah, I just, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think, like you said, picking the name Freddie makes it an entirely different conversation to everything Jay has said in the last two minutes. But I think the idea, as it's structured, has a lot of merit. This is exactly why I wanted to ask this question
3: on on when Jay was on the show because he's the perfect person to have to discuss it.
2: No, it's it's fine if if you're if you're true if you're being true to your heart and you're outside of the nest, (laughs) then by all means. If that's your goal, go ahead. Get him out there. Let him let him fly. He's he's gotta be a peacock. You gotta let him fly. So go go right ahead. Um on a duck's standpoint, you are pretty much signaling a white flag for the next three years. And then once again, Freddie's not the guy that's gonna get you anywhere. And plug in whatever other name you wanna put in there. Um, you know, no one's going to be better than Gibson. So Trying to do that, and then once again, really, we're just pinning our hopes on Dostal, and hoping that that pans out after the three-year deal. If if we've still got Gibson, we've got a bona fide number one. You can move some of those other pieces around and try and build that team up. And a goalie has a better longevity than you know your casual you know player or forward or anything like that. So to just ride him off by the time he's you know 29 or 30 and go he's not he's he can't be a good goalie at that age. He still might be a great goalie, and he might be in that transition period where he's still leading, but Dostal's kind of coming behind it. But at least you have that opportunity in the next three years. Put it in Freddie and then wait until he's 34 or something like that, and he's not going to be better. He's going to be worse than Gibson. You just pretty much are just playing mediocrity for the next three years hoping that Dostal works out. So I just don't understand why do that. Gibson's not really crushing you on the salary cap. Um, you could still probably trade them. You know, there's just ten teams you can't trade them to. So,
1: I guess my question is, what are your expectations for this team next year and the two, like for the next three years? Because, like, I don't think it's much different than what it is now, which is why I don't think it's worth keeping Gibson. I think they are a bottom of the West team for another two years.
2: Yeah, I think uh, my hope is that everyone starts making, you know, step. You know, stepping up a little bit. We're obviously going to have to try and refigure out what we're going to do. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of money to get plugged up, but we also gain a lot, a lot of mobility, fighting cap wise. Once Getzloff becomes less expensive, once Perry's contract gets mm-hmm. off the board, then you can maybe start going out and addressing some of those issues via free agency or maybe some sort of trade. Who knows what we're doing exactly with the GM or the coaching. Um, I feel there's a lot of pieces getting into the right spot, and I feel the management is not steering the ship very well, and so that's why we're kind of stuck a little bit going in a circle. And I feel eventually that will get righted. Uh, I don't think it's then, but I think we can be far more competitive next season than this season. And but it also comes down to: are we going to go out and get some of that? free agency once the salary cap kind of moves out. But if you don't have a top goalie, then what's the point? Then just just tank for three years, get three first overall picks. I,
3: I think where you fall um, on either side of this argument depends on two things in my opinion. It's how long you think this rebuild is going to take for the Ducks, whether you think mm-hmm. already it's going to take three, four, five, six years, and how important you think it is to have an elite goaltender to be a you know, Stanley Cup contender and a competitive team. And I think those two factors weigh into it significantly. You know, you can look at Tampa Bay last year, you know, great team, but they had the best goaltender in the league. How much did that weigh into their victory? You could go back and look at, you know, St. Louis or Pittsburgh when they won the Cups, and Bennington and Matt Murray are great goaltenders, but they got hot, and they got hot at the right time. Is
1: Matt Murray great?
3: But At the time, he was, right? Totally. Not now with Ottawa, for sure, but he was on a very good team, and he played well. And, and that's a debate that will continue to, to live on, and, and how important is it to have an elite goaltender? I think it helps, and obviously, the better goaltender you have, the more likely you are to have a consistent run of form that gets you to the Stanley Cup, and, and to eventually winning it, right, and winning it all. Um, but the, the rebuild thing is the big one for me. Like, I think already as where the Ducks stand with or without Gibson, are three years away, at the very least, from being a decently competitive team that could win a couple rounds in the playoffs. And then if you're going to say Stanley Cup contending team, unless they luck out and and get a franchise player in one of these drafts, you know, a Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid type player, Austin Matthews, something like that, You know, whether Shane Wright or Connor Bedard or whatever turns out to be that guy, I think they're four or five years realistically away from being one of those teams that can kind of compete to get to the conference finals and to the Stanley Cup finals. And Gibson's 32 at that point. And, and I think, yes, goaltenders have you know longer longevity in terms of how long they can be good and how long they can stay competitive, but that's not the same. And I think when you look at Gibson's workload over the last couple of years, the style of play that he has, he just seems to me as a goaltender that won't be the same guy we have now into his early and late 30s, around 32, 33. And we're looking at potentially a Sergei Bobrovsky type, you know, not, I don't want to say meltdown, but shift in form where he goes from being one of the top goaltenders in this league to he's all right, he's still good, but he's not that guy that we thought he was. And, you know, I, I see the same eventually for Andre Vasilevsky as well, the way he plays, the style he plays. I just don't think that's going to
0: And you know you
3: don't
1: think he's gonna make behind the back glove saves for the next listen. I
3: could be wrong. That that's my opinion. That's why I'd I'd lean on the you know the side of I'd be okay with trading John Gibbs. I'm not actively saying we should trade him, but just based on those two things, on (laughs) I think the rebuild's gonna take a little bit longer. And I think when you get to a point where you're competitive again, I don't necessarily think it's of the utmost importance to have an elite goaltender in your system when you can get assets for one right now and you can figure it out down the road now that could blow up in your face and you could be the one thing you need to push over the top is an elite goaltender and you traded it away so i can see both sides of the argument there for sure the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news we dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy from big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcast.
2: Small market team and you get rid of a goalie who's probably your best chance at winning almost any game over the next three seasons and you try and just dump that off or someone kind of in the middle, it's going to be hard to put butts in seats. And so it's going to be hard for them to want to do that in the first place. And quite honestly, without Gibson in there to win these one nothing games that he does so well at the beginning of seasons, um, you're going to, you're going to be hard pressed. I mean, you're, you're definitely going way down and you're committing to the tank for the next three seasons. I think, I don't think bringing in Freddie or anybody else is going to get you out of the seller. Gibson can get you out of the seller, can make you relevant, can kind of inspire at least a little bit of confidence moving forward. But once again, if you're completely committed to just sucking for the next four or five years, then by all means trade him. <laughs> but I just don't think this franchise so, is in that
1: position. I feel,
2: like,
1: I feel like the thing is like you can kind of compare a goaltending or a goalie in hockey to like a running back in football like it it is always better to have the most talented guy than not but by that same token there is a degree to which it is usually far more cost effective to have a replacement level guy making middling money and creating a system and a structure around them to, you know, minimize how much they actually, like, need to do. And I, I think we've seen that, like, with Matt Murray and with Jordan Bennington. But to Jay's credit, we have seen that in the other way with Toronto, with those, um, what, that, like, mid to late, like, 2000-aughts, like, Sharks teams, like, they just never quite had that goalie that got them over the top. They had everything else. So, like, you definitely run that risk because that needing a goal, like, a goalie can be a difference maker every single game. But I do think there's also a lot of evidence to suggest that having a star-caliber goalie isn't necessarily the most efficient way of building a roster. Yeah, I, we'll end it at this. I, I think it's
3: always going to be that argument there. And, and if you need an elite goaltender or not, is always going to be one that's going to be split. And And you can look at the teams that are in the top half of this league right now, and it, it's fairly split. I mean, Toronto has replacement-level goaltenders, and Jack Campbell and David Riddich now, and Freddie Anderson who wasn't playing that great this year. And then you go to Winnipeg, they have an elite goaltender, and Connor Helipa. And you go to to the East Division, you know New York and Washington and Pittsburgh. They don't really have an elite netminder. They have a little bit of a rotation of two good guys that they built a system around that are okay. You go to the Central. Tampa Bay has one of the best goaltenders in the league. Florida Bobrovsky's been better this year, and I think you know in his heyday, he and not even not even a couple of years ago, he was considered one of the best goaltenders in this league. But they've been leaning on kind of a committee there, and same with Carolina. And then you head to the West. Well, Vegas has Flurry, who I would still consider an elite netminder in this league. And then they've got a, an excellent one B in Robin Lehner. And then Colorado has Grubauer, which I think he's kind of right in the middle of being a regular. You know, who I don't even know if Grubauer is an elite netminder or not, or if it's just the fact that he's playing in Colorado and and there's such a good team. He's I'm good. He's, team he's, he's, made, he's making
2: yeah. steps. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, I even liked him when he was in Washington. It's just he he was behind. Uh, Holtby, so he couldn't really get out of that before he went over to Colorado, and then he's just been injured a little bit, but Colorado's really good, but I think Grubauer, he's on the cusp of, of getting to that upper echelon as far as uh, goaltending athletics, yeah. I guess. But it, it, it kind
3: of just shows you the, the <laughs> mix, right, and why it's it's always a, a pretty heated debate when you discuss goaltenders as, you know, good teams in this league. It's, it's a mix of replacement level goaltenders and elite level goaltenders, right? So...
2: Yeah, But um, once again, all of those teams have elite goal yeah. scoring um, and elite defensemen. We don't have any of that. And trading Gibby is not all of a sudden going to give us that. It's going to give us the possibility of prospects that might work out in that way. And it's just like, well, listen, unless those are in the pipeline, you got a good feel for that, I'd say keep the goal because that at least gets you some wins in yeah. there. But, all right.
3: yeah, well, no, well sure. you mentioned it with some of the young players and the prospects we have. We talked about Jamie so earlier in the show. Uh, I want to move into kind of a few topics about Drysdale because he's become a topic of discussion lately. Obviously, the OHL season has been canceled, so he's sticking around with the Ducks for the rest of the season here. But there's an article that was put out, I think a couple days ago, um, that kind of went against the grain in terms of what we've thought of Jamie Drysdale this season and talked about how he's been struggling lately and how he's been struggling really for most of his time with the Ducks. And I read through it. And... It's a long article it's on Pucks of the Feather if you want to go check it out and i I, I wouldn't say it's it's horrible and I, I don't want to slander you know the the author who wrote it uh, but it 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 leaves out a lot of things and it, and it leaves it a, a lot up to analytics and I think when you look at Jamie Drysdale as who he is and, and the type of player he is this year, he's the youngest player in the National Hockey League right now. As a defenseman, which makes it even more difficult for him to adjust and play. And not only that, he's not playing like an 18, 19-year-old defenseman Where He's not playing 13, 14 minutes a night. He's playing 20-plus minutes a night for one of the worst defensive teams in the league. On a bad team, you're going to have bad underlying numbers. It's just how it works. You know, Some players who can drive play will have better numbers than some of the guys on their team that can't. But more than likely... You take a bad team, and most of those guys are going to have bad numbers. And you take a bad, you take a player off that team, put them on a good team. Let's look at Yanni Hakipo with the Carolina Hurricanes. Look at his underlying numbers for the rest of the games this season after the Hurricanes finish the regular season. I guarantee you, he will have some nice looking analytics. Because he's playing with Eddie, guarantee. And he, (laughs) you already look at the first, I think, two or three games he's played there. His numbers look significantly better than he was in Anaheim. Does that mean he's a better player in Carolina? No, he's the same guy, but he's playing in a better system and a system that does well analytically and does well when you look at the numbers. And I think I think it's tough to judge Jamie Drysdale on that and that alone and say that he's struggling because. He had, when this article was written, I believe he had five points in 14 games, which for an 18-year-old defenseman is not bad at all. And every game up to really maybe the last couple, he's looked calm, he's looked comfortable, his skating has been on full display. He does not look like an 18, 19-year-old defenseman. He looks like a guy who's, you know, early 20s and has been in in the NHL for the last couple seasons. And he really hasn't made too many noticeable mistakes. I know we picked apart a a couple in, in this game, but outside of this game, there really hasn't been times you've looked at Jamie Drysdale and said, Man, what are you doing? Like wh- where where were you on that play? So I think it's I think it's a bit unfair to say that he's struggling if you're just taking into account, you know, how bad his numbers are with Josh Manson and how bad his Corsi four percentages or his expected goals or his individual impact on the game. Because this is a bad team, and he's a part of that. Just as much as save percentage and goals against average are team indicative, and you can't really say a goaltender is bad because his save percentage is, you know, John Gibson is a perfect example of this. Are we going to say John Gibson is bad because he has a .904 save percentage? Or is a lot of that... Yes,
2: that's exactly what we're going to do. A lot of people, exactly do. <laughs> lot yeah. of people or, or does
3: a lot of that have to do with the, the team and the team he plays on and how bad they are and the system they play in? <laughs>
2: It's a small sample size for Drysdale too, so I wouldn't put too much weight in it early on in this career. So it's, you know, if you wanna try and sit there and pick apart, you know, like I said, an eighteen year old kid and what he's doing is just it's viewed almost almost everyone kind of sucks coming into the league there's very rarely a, a Connor mcjesus that comes out and just blows you away analytically anyways it usually takes you know one go around to kind of get it right it might take a little bit longer for a defenseman but does he have the skill set absolutely is if he's in a uh, better position with maybe better line mates it, it gets even easier for that but uh, you know he's he's gonna have a little rough start to the career just because of the position the ducks are in but um uh, you y- can't put too much in on this one season, go, "Ah, this kid's a bust.
1: Yeah, I think, (laughs) I mean, I, I think the kid's incredible. Like I do. I, I really, for any of the young guys just don't care about their analytics this year. I think maybe, you know, I guess what I should do is amend that to a degree to being more about Zegers and Dreesdale. Um, but as far as those two i really just want to see how they do like i just want to physically see how they exist on the ice in an nhl game i think you know you said it perfectly the underlying analytics and numbers for the team are bad and they're bad for the players because the team is bad like that's just the way it goes you know i think that's the 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 reason right that you are certainly uh concerned with Aikens is because the underlying numbers aren't good. And, you know, it's one thing to be a team that's playing well and doesn't have finishing talent. It's another team to be – it's another thing entirely to be a team that's not good at not playing well. And being a 19-year-old defenseman who's already going to have a tough time just breaking in first just based on, you know, the fact that he's a smaller defenseman in – a traditional, like, organization and things like that, you know. uh, I just think there's nothing I've seen from him that makes me nervous, and everything I've seen from him makes me incredibly optimistic. And 5-14 and over a full season would put him on pace for right about 30 points, which as a 19-year-old rookie is pretty sweet. I don't know that there's, you know, I, I guess it is just a little bit of a well, debate. You know, how do you feel about it? Like, do you think the numbers should be better than they are right now? Or do you just think he's 19 and he's going to get yeah. better? I feel like it's a like so, counter,
2: counterculture type thing. I was like, well, well, everyone says he's really good. Well, I'm going to find a way that he's really bad just so I can say, no, you guys are all wrong. You uh, oh, you listen to me. Uh, yeah. It's just like, watch the kid play. Yeah. You, you'll see everything. Thing you need to see this
3: season, so, I have away. no problems with you know exploring, you know looking at analytics and and kind of exploring the other side of his game and and if you want to say he's struggling, I have no problem with that. I just have a problem when you're taking some base stats and then applying it to him and saying that he's struggling because of this, when you can directly correlate that to the rest of this team and say yeah the team is struggling as a whole. I think if you want to look at some individual stats that are, I guess less team base and more individual base you could look at you know his zone exits his transitions through the neutral zone how many clean zone entries he's get you know how accurate and and how often does he get the first pass off and you can kind of look at those and if those aren't great then you can start saying okay maybe he's struggling a bit but for me it always comes back to this this is a kid who without the pandemic was 100 percent going to be playing in the Ontario Hockey League this year there was no chance he was going to get any sniff of playing with the goals unless it was a playoff run, and there was absolutely no chance he was going to play any NHL games with the Anaheim Ducks this year. So anything right now, his you know rookie of the month in February with in the AHL, and then the fact that he's never looked back and he's been playing with the Ducks ever since, and has been playing twenty plus minutes a night. This is all just bonus time for us to be able to see, 20. yeah, to see nope. Jamie Drysdale do this. So you can look at and say. You know, if, if, even if, if those stats that I talked about, the things that are a bit more individual-based, even if those aren't great and you want to say he's struggling, for me, I just I can't buy into that because I always come back to the fact is this is a kid that should have been in the OHL this year. And the fact that he's mm. playing in the NHL and he's playing that many minutes, his skating is on full display, he doesn't look out of place, he doesn't look like an 18-year-old, 19-year-old defenseman in, in the National Hockey League doesn't look like the youngest player currently playing in the National Hockey League right now. He looks like a guy who's been here for the last couple of years. And he's only 14 games into his NHL career. So I, I just I can't buy into the struggling thing right now. It'd be different if... You know the Ducks were one of the top teams in the Western Conference, mm-hmm. and he wasn't looking great, and the uh, the rest of the team was. And then you could chalk that up to just rookie mistakes, and that's what we would be doing right now. And I think this article wouldn't ex- it wouldn't exist if the Ducks were good. It would be Drysdale's you know rookie mistakes or whatever, or you know he's just clearly not ready for the National Hockey League. Send him back down to the AHL or whatever. So I I feel like it's a bit unfair to tag it with him struggling just because he's, you know, on par with the rest of this team. And then the fact that they're struggling. We're playing Andy Belinsky and and Jacob Larson on a nightly basis. Like, he's going to struggle in a defensive core that is rolling those guys out every night.
2: Don't take away our one happy thing that we have.
3: So just leave us
1: alone. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's... It's just that you're just talking about like the numbers and stuff because the other half of this has been, you know, some of the boys that crashed the pond have been talking about uh, splitting up the pair with him and Manson. And I thought it was really interesting. Jake wrote an article that kind of touched on it and he looked at his numbers and I looked at the numbers and I thought the thing that was most interesting is when Manson and uh, Drysdale are together, it's very low event hockey. The numbers don't favor them and they're losing the the shot battle and the chance battle, but overall the game slows down and it becomes much less eventful. Whereas when Dreesdale plays without Manson, uh, his numbers improve. He seems to be able to drive play a little bit better, but the events, the total number of events on in the game go up. So even though he his percentages are better in a high event, I think it's also easy to look at that and see why a coach who was an NHL level defenseman uh, would definitely be inclined to play him with the player that is seeing just less things happen. And I think, you know, as a traditional coach or an old school coach or an ex player, like I definitely understand why to what you're looking at, the idea of just not having more things happen when someone is on the ice, who's the youngest player in the NHL and, possibly the best player at his position on the team already, uh, I I get why you would put him in that position. So I think the numbers, you know, like I said, I don't really know that I care too much about his numbers this year, but I understand the way that people are interpreting them for concern.
3: I think the thing for me too is his role changed when he was put with Josh Manson. That's the big thing is all of a sudden –
0: Mm-hmm. Drysdale
3: and Manson, when they were put together, became the top shutdown pair for the Ducks. They're playing against the opposition's mm-hmm. best players on a nightly basis, which, when it you you mentioned that, you know, they're they've kind of slowed the game down a bit and they've got a bit more of low event game happening. That makes sense because they're not taking as many risks. They're not getting the puck as often. And when they do get it, it's, okay, we've got to keep things under control here, we're going to start a breakout, and we're going to transition slowly out of our own zone, because we've probably been hemmed in our own zone for the last couple minutes here. And so it makes sense that the numbers have taken a hit, and, the, and kind of the, the game has shifted the way it has, because before, I can't exactly remember who he was playing with when he first got called up, but when... He originally got called up. He was not part of that. was he major.
2: playing with Shattenkirk? I thought he was playing with Shattenkirk
3: when he first. I think so, but, so, but that might have been yeah. on the power play. I'm trying to remember exactly who he was with. But either way, he the, he was not the go-to guy when he first got called up. And yeah. the game shifted for him when he got sw- switched with Josh Manson because he was asked to do something different. You know, when he first came up, it was you know go out there, skate your ass off. You know, you can create chances, do what you do best. And then Hampus Lindholm goes down for the rest of the season. Jamie Drysdale looks comfortable, starting to get more shifts on the penalty kill. They're starting to use him in a more defensive role to see how he can do there. All of a sudden now he's thrust into this shutdown role with Josh Manson where he has to completely change the way he plays to fit what the team is asking him at that point. So, you know, I I think it's a bit weird already to play Drysdale with Manson as two righties when you have two lefties playing together and, and Fowler and Larson, I feel like that's a bit weird. I feel like you could shift Jamie Drysdale to the right and and take a bit more care on how you're handling his minutes, but he's shown that he can, he can do it, and I think that's the thing. I mean, obviously, when Zegers has been up, there's been a significant amount of care in terms of how they've handled him, how they've handled his deployment, and everything like that. For Jamie Drysdale, it's like, Oh, you—you know—we're gonna send you out there, and you're gonna be our number one guy with Josh Manson. You're gonna play against the opposition's best players, and we'd like—we're gonna treat you like you've been here for the last couple seasons, which is fine. Like I have no issues with that, but I would love to see him on the right side a bit more, and in maybe a role where, he, especially in you know, 14 games into his, his NHL career, where he could express some of that flair that he has to his game, where he really can't when he's being tasked to be a kind of a shutdown defenseman with Josh Manson on a team that's very, very weak on with the defenseman they have in the lineup on a nightly basis. Uh, I don't know who he would play with at that point, whether it's with Cam Fowler, which could be you know absolute chaos at that point. Uh, <laughs> if it's if it's Jacob Larson uh, that he could play with, I, I really don't know. Um, you know. Or Hayden Fleury. That could be an interesting pairing of, of Fleury and, and Drysdale, but that would just recently develop with Fleury only coming in at the trade deadline. So I'm not sure how they, they would want to go with this, but at least for the you know last couple games here of the season, I'd like to see him shift back over to the right and maybe not be relied upon to be that shutdown defenseman for the rest of this year.
1: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I think, you know, acknowledging that he's on his offside and that his role has changed. Um, kind of covers a lot of it, but I also think the fact that they were willing to play him on his offside is a major vote of confidence. I really do, and I think that that is more than anything going to be the takeaway from this season for him is that, you know, when it got down to it, they played him against high-end competition on his offside as the youngest player in the NHL who was already an undersized skilled defenseman.
2: I don't know. Does it really matter what hand they're they are as far as playing the off wing and things like that? I just don't ever see that really being that that big of a a, a handicap for players. I mean, I guess maybe the low end skill players maybe they got to make quicker you know decisions, so they just got to kind of it's a little bit easier to ease out of the zone under pressure, but. I think for most players now, I, I don't think that it's all that much more difficult to play. Your off wing It's just maybe a little bit of getting used to. Maybe that's about it. But I always say you know, like, oh no, you got to do a right and a left, a right and a left, a right and a left. I was like, oh no, just just put put whoever matches up well, who plays well with that player, and then put them together. I think chemistry is more important than what handedness they are, or trying to you know shoehorn them into that. You know, we got we got a left on left and right on right, and that's it. I don't know. That's my thought.
3: yeah. You know, to, I have less of an issue with him playing on the right than I do playing with Josh Manson and being tasked in the role that he's been tasked in. Uh, you know, I I love that they're showing res- the responsibility to put him there, that they feel comfortable with him being that guy, that he's arguably the you know the second best defenseman on this team, that he really took Cam Fowler's spot with Josh Manson to, to be that guy, uh, and that they've, they've forced him to play on the left to take over that spot from from Cam Fowler. For, for me, I, I just want to see him maybe in a lesser role, just to see if maybe he'll break out offensively and have a bit more of that flair and, and that ability to kind of jump up in the rush more often than he has. I mean, he did it a couple times in this game, even you know being on that kind of demanding top pairing and having to play against the opposition's best players. Um, I, I would just like to see maybe a little bit of a calmer finish to his season rather than throwing him to the fire and saying, this is how you're gonna end the year. you're gonna you know you're gonna play 24 minutes a night against the, the opposition's top players. Uh, I would maybe like to see maybe the last you know three or four games of his season where he becomes maybe that second pairing guy and whether it's with Fowler or, or Flurry. Uh, He he just kind of gets less tough matchups and can kind of express himself a bit more offensively so we can see a bit more of that to end the year like we did when he first came up. Uh, I I just feel like it's a lot to ask for him to do that and be this guy that is essentially what Hampus Lindholm is when he's in the lineup. And and I know a lot of it has to do with injuries, and I'm sure next season he's not going to have to be that guy for Anaheim unless Josh Manson has moved out. But, um, yeah, I think that's the big thing for me. Like, I have no issues with him playing on the right side. If that's where they want to put him, I'm kind of with Jay there. Like, I I know Drysdale has done that in the past, whether it be with Canada or with Erie. Like, he can do it. He's proven he can do it. And he's skilled enough where it really doesn't change much for him. You know, he can execute a pass on his backhand just as well as he can on his forehand. And he's a good enough skater that, you know, it it doesn't take long for him to shift the puck to to the strong side and, and get it up the ice and get a first pass out. So I'm not too worried about him being on on the the left side of the ice as much as I am him having that type of responsibility this early on in his career, where we don't get to see that kind of ease transition into being that type of guy.
1: No, cool. yeah.
3: <laughs> I, I think That's fair. <laughs> I would be
1: interested in putting him with Flurry. So.
3: Yeah, I hope we see that. That'd be nice. I mean, I, I feel like they complement each other uh, pretty well. And Flurry is a, a decent skater for his size at six four, but he's a bit more of a, a stay-at-home, physical type defenseman. I think he frees up a bit of space for Drysdale. And you know, I know Flurry himself has been playing eighteen, nineteen, twenty minutes a night. But if it's, you know, I know Lindholm's not coming back. But even if it's Fowler and Manson. For the last bit of the season here, it doesn't matter if they're bad or not. They've been bad in the past, but every d- pairing they're going to throw out there essentially is not going to look too great for the rest of the year. Put Fowler and Manson back together and and use them as kind of that top pairing, and and just see how Flurry and Drysdale could do. And then do you know who cares what that bottom pairing looks like? It's likely going to be Larson and Walensky or Larson and Shattenkirk, but. I would love to see Flurry with uh, with Drysdale for a couple games here to end the year,
1: just to see if they can get something going. Yeah, sorry. Um, I think it makes the most sense, uh, you know, especially with who's left. I think ultimately the one you want to play in with is Lindholm. Uh, I think Flurry is a little bit of Lindholm esque in the his style of play. I think he's a little bit of a better skater. Um, but I definitely think that's the guy going forward that you want him uh, playing with unless um, you have somebody else you want to bring up who you think can play better with him, but I don't know why you uh, think that since he's really probably the best right-handed guy in the system right now, and I don't know that uh, my guy's ready yet. So. All right, well, we'll
3: wrap it up there um we've talked a a lot of topics on the show but among the chat the topic of the show has been your sweater (laughs) yeah i was going to
2: mention that is it your grandma's
3: (laughs) no it's just a sweater (laughs) if you if you didn't come out to the to the show live or if you haven't seen the video version of the show you can just kind of scroll through the chat and it's probably been mentioned over a hundred times uh, throughout the show tonight, so it's been. It's my meatball. I, I had to bring it up before we got to the end of the show. I have nothing wrong, I think it's I a great sweater. About,
2: I was thinking about it too, and I was like, I should probably bring that up. Well, nah, I won't do that to Stephen, but since it's already there,
1: yeah, I... yeah, the sweater's been accused of quite a lot of bad <laughs> yes. things. It, it's, uh,
3: it's a long list of things it's been accused of on this show, but uh, that would do it for the post game show, uh, for today. I know uh, Stephen and I are hopping on an interview with Josh Bell from FC Hockey uh, tomorrow. We're going to be looking forward to the draft and who the Ducks could get with their potential top five pick as well as some of their uh, their other picks later in the draft and into the second and third round as well. So we'll be covering kind of a, a early draft preview with that one because I know a lot of people are trying to find some positives in what's a down stretch here for the Ducks. So that will be... Uh, That'll be a fun one, right, Stephen? To look ahead to the draft and and look at some of the uh, the new superstars we could bring into the team.
1: All hope is dead, Eddie. There's nothing to be excited <laughs> about. No, it'll be fun. Uh, Josh's a good guy. He's a smart guy. So it'll be good to talk to him and we'll we'll test him, see how much he knows. We'll make him talk about uh, guys in like the eighth or ninth round. So it'll be it'll be a good lead up. We always have a draft uh,
3: preview and review show, so a nice little early early draft coverage here. I know we're planning on setting up a expansion draft coverage show uh, in the next couple of weeks here where we can kind of do a deep dive on who we all think the Ducks should protect and who they will protect and who will be exposed and who we think Seattle will eventually take. So that will be a show uh, that we have planned. And then as for the next post game show, which would be slated for Saturday, just figuring out the details on terms of who's available for that show and if we're going to be able to put one out. Uh, if not, then the interview that uh, Stephen and I have with Josh will be taking its place for for Saturday. If we can't have a post game show, if not, you'll just have both. You'll have the post game show on Saturday and the interview uh, to listen to. So we'll keep you uh, we'll keep you posted on who's available for that show and if we're uh, we're able to go live for that one.
2: I probably won't be there. I have to knit a sweater to match Stevens. <laughs> Whenever we
3: do the next uh, Pucks and Brews, we all have to come in matching matching sweaters to Stevens. <laughs> we do.
2: It's so cold in here. <laughs> <laughs>
3: All right, well, appreciate everybody who came out live for the show. Uh, also, to everybody who's listening to this to the next day because I know a lot of these run late, so obviously everybody can't make it out. But uh, if you are listening to this after the fact, uh, give it a shot if you ever have the chance to come out to one of the live shows. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, we always love engaging with people uh, live during the shows as well. So that'll do it for tonight, and uh, we'll see you on Saturday, guys. Take care. Bye, everybody.
2: 420.